Good morning, Cross Point. Hope you guys are doing well. Thank you so much for joining us in worship this morning. Kids, you can be released for Children's Church now. And as Anthony mentioned, today we're celebrating the first day of Holy Week, which is known as, as Palm Sunday. That Holy Week, it's a week where we remember the final week of Jesus' earthly ministry. That's going to, as we walk with Jesus this week, it will culminate and lead to on Good Friday when we remember when Christ was crucified and died on the cross. It's going to lead to then next Sunday as when we gather, we celebrate the resurrection, Jesus coming alive and what that means as just the beginning for us. So we're going to pause from our current series. We've been studying through the the book of 1 John. We're going to pause from that so that we can focus on that Sunday when Jesus is going to enter the Jerusalem, enter Jerusalem on the donkey. And what I want to encourage is my heart is as we start today and lead to next Sunday, I want us to follow Jesus together each day of the week. So while today we're focusing on Sunday, I also want to encourage you that if you want to follow along with what the scripture teaches Jesus did on each of those days, along with a short devotional that I put together, I want to invite you to text the word Easter to the number that you're going to see on the screen. So you can just go in to the text messages. If you just type in the word Easter to that number 833-215-9110, it's going to send you a text uh, each morning at 8 a.m. that's going to have a link to the, the, um, the Bible passage for that day. Of, of what the scripture teaches that Jesus did that day, along with then the devotional that you can follow along. But what I want us to see today is that today in many ways is a spark, a spark that's lit in an atmosphere, in a room that is filled with flammable gas, and it is about to explode Like when I was about 16, I remember I was having a cookout at some friend's house. And after we had eaten, we heard this whistling sound. And we're like, what is that sound? And so we had gone around the house. We're trying to locate the sound. And then we get to the back of the house where there's a gas grill that was next to a house with wood siding. And there was this small little fire on the side of the house. And so we decided, we're like, well, we grabbed the hose, we ran to the pool and tried to find things to collect water to throw on the house to put the fire out. And as we approached the house, it exploded. Now what had happened was there was a, a spare tank on the side before there were safety features on those propane tanks. And that seal had melted and that whistling sound was propane gas going into the air. And as we approached, it erupted, and instantly the entire side of the house is on fire. The can in releasing pressure is just like a flamethrower, throwing fire every which way. That's what happens today on Palm Sunday. This is what I want us to see, that there is a spark. It's that whistling sound. I want us to hear, to investigate, what is that? What is happening? 
Because in this moment that we remember, like, everything changes. Everything changes on this Sunday. What is going on? Because the people who are watching it, they understood what was happening. The religious leaders who are watching it are like, Jesus, stop it. Like, can you stop this from happening? This is going to spread. This is going to explode into something that cannot be controlled. And yet Jesus intentionally set the fire. And the question is, why? Like, why did these events unfold? How should we understand them? And so I want to invite you this morning to stand with me. As we do each week, I want to pray before we read God's Word. I want us to stand in respect that there is a difference between reading God's Word and then what I say afterwards. That what I'm going to read from God's Word is perfect and without error. And worthy of our every hope. Pray, and then I'll read from Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. Lord, I thank you for this time this morning. I thank you that we have your word, that we can know what happened on that Sunday over 2,000 years ago, Lord. I pray that that you would open our eyes to not just see historical events, but to see the person and work of Jesus Christ, Lord. Give us eyes to see and hearts to understand and to feel the weight and beauty of these words and what you would have for us today. And in Jesus' name, amen. So please remain standing while I read from Mark 11, 1 through 11. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. For for if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it. And will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street. And they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, Why are you doing? What are you doing? Untying the colt. And they told them what Jesus had said. And they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it. And he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road. And others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom to our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is God's word. You can be seated. I want us to see what's happening here, because you might be like, you explain this big explosive event. I'm not seeing it. (laughs) Like, what happened? To understand the scene, I think we need to go a little bit back into history to understand the setting, the environment, the room that we're walking into, and then what Jesus does. The, the, The nation of Israel, the Jewish people, was first called out with Abraham, one man and a promise from God who said, your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And so Abraham followed God, believing the promise. And in time, people did become plentiful. 
but down in Egypt where the Pharaoh was threatened by this growing people, and so they enslaved them. And in slavery, the the indignity of being owned by another human being, of being looked down on simply because of their background, and they cried out for salvation. They cried out for freedom from captivity, and it says God heard them and led them into freedom. And in fact, on that Sunday, it was the first day of a week-long celebration known as Passover week. In this week, they're remembering this exact moment that God led them from captivity to freedom. It was about a thousand years ago from this day when Israel as a nation was no longer content to follow God alone, even though they had wandered through the desert, even though God had faithfully brought them to the land that he had promised them, they looked around at the other nations and they're like, I want a king. They have a king. I want a king. They wanted a king because they didn't want to have to listen to what God says, right? Like the child who says, whose parents are too strict and are like, I wish somebody else was my parents so, they, so I could do what I want to do was the nation of Israel before God, saying, I want an earthly king. And so they found the biggest person they could find, Saul, and they installed him as king. But everything went downhill after that. The, the, the land was divided. There was captivity. The, the, there was o- oppression. They were taken from the land. They were brought back to the land. And nothing had gone as they had expected. And there was this desire to go back to the way things were. And in this present moment, in this setting, the Jews are in the land, but they're being occupied by the Romans. There's somebody else in charge. There's somebody else ruling the land. And there's this frustration. There's this fear. There's this desire to be out from under the thumb of someone else. If only that were possible. And there was a promise that they were holding on to because 500 years ago, God sent a prophet, the prophet Zechariah who said, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation as he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a coat, the fowl of a donkey. And see, they had seen this picture before. Out of the blue, like, oh, this king's going to be coming in on a coat. This is something that was seen with King David's son. When King David was old and he wanted to install his son, Solomon, as a king, he on his coat and had him ride into Jerusalem as the symbol of he is going to be enthroned as the king. This has already been seen. But now the prophet's saying there's going to come another king from the line of David, one who along with Solomon is going to ride into the temple. And so there was this expectation, this waiting, when is this going to happen? Intentions are high. We've already seen this. People have recently begun to follow Jesus. In fact, just a little bit before, Lazarus was raised from the dead just on the other side of the Mount of Olives. Word was getting around. Disciples were beginning to follow. Tensions were building. Is this him? Like we've heard about him up in Galilee, but I know Lazarus. Like I know them. This is the crowds that was beginning to to swell around Jerusalem, around on the Mount of Olives. This is the tension that's building. Is this the, the promised king? Is this the one? 
like in the matrix. Is this the one who was promised? Is this the one who will set us free? Is this him? It's the whistling sound that's calling people to come and see what's going on. That whistling sound of something's not right. Something's about to happen. And then Jesus lights the match. This is what I want us to see when when we look at the intentionality of what Jesus said. Look back at verses 2 and 3. What Jesus told them to do, what did Jesus say to do? In the midst of all this tension, in the midst of all this expectation, He now tells His disciples, go into the neighboring village, find a colt there tied up and bring it to Me. I wonder if the disciples knew what was happening. Right? Because then they put their cloaks on the donkey. To, to make this makeshift shadow, uh, <laughs> makeshift saddle, right? For Jesus to sit on. And then what does it say? And Jesus sat. What I want you to see is that is the spark. That is the lighting, the match. In the midst of all this tension, in the midst of all this expectation, Jesus knew exactly what he was saying. In the fulfillment, it says in Luke of the prophecy of Zechariah 9.9, he knew what the expectations were. He knew the setting. He knew the firestorm that this was going to bring. And he intentionally asked for that coat, and he sat down on it, and he rode into Jerusalem. And it was a fire that was started that could not be undone. This is what it was saying. And imagine the Romans, this occupying force who believes that Caesar is both king and God. They're there in charge under the authority of Caesar to maintain the peace of this region, to maintain the honor and control of Caesar. And now you have this person riding in as king of the Jews. This is why Andreas Kostenberger writes this. Up to this point in Jesus' ministry, he could still have managed to live a long, happy, peaceful life. But his actions on Sunday set in motion a series of events that could result only in either his overthrow of the Romans and the current religious establishments or his brutal death. There was no in-between. What happened that Sunday changed everything. The entire ministry of Jesus in that decision to ask for that coat, to sit on it and ride into Jerusalem was a statement that could not be undone. And he intentionally did it. He was intentionally making a declaration about himself and to all who would observe and read of it thousands of years later that he is the rightful king. But here's the thing. I think the crowd grossly misunderstood what's happened. And I think sometimes like we have this picture in our minds of Palm Sunday, of palm branches and singing and this event of what's going on. And in many ways, I want to blow up this image in your mind because I don't think that's what's happening. I don't think this is what the crowds understand to be happening. 
It is something much more significant. See, the crowds began to lay cloaks down on the road. As if rolling out the red carpet for the king entering Jerusalem. This was in direct opposition to the Roman rule and authority. This was a rejection of Rome. And saying, this is our king. That they brought out palm branches that they cut from neighboring fields. And we can have those. And and they're singing out. But palm branches were both at the time of King David a a sign of a victory of celebration in time of war. After war, they would bring this out. But here's the interesting thing. Jesus comes riding on a coat. See, in, in Middle Eastern thought, if a king was riding into war, he would ride a horse. If he was riding in with peace, he would ride a coat. Jesus isn't coming in a posture of war, though one day he will return riding a horse. He is entering Jerusalem on a coat as a symbol of peace. But they're shouting out in in victory and in celebration as if he's coming back from a time of war like King David. And in fact, on the coinage of the revolt at the time for Jews during this time, there's a palm tree on that. That the palm branch was synonymous with the revolt against Rome. We do not know the heart of the crowd. But my thought is, they were praising, and as they were singing out, saying, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. Hosanna means save us. Please save us. Hosanna, glory to God in the highest, whose kingdom reigns. They are looking for an earthly king of an earthly nation in boundaries to free them from the oppression of Rome. Because why else would the crowd, when Jesus disappoints them in not overthrowing Rome, would that same crowd who sings out, Hosanna, save us, cry out, crucify him, crucify him. It's because they had an expectation of Jesus. They wanted this coming kingdom. They, they wanted this earthly freedom from this human oppression. It's not that their expectations of Jesus was too great, but rather it was too small. They could only see Jesus for, for their own ends, for their own desires, for their own comfort. Here's our king. Let's do away with the Romans. I want to be free. And imagine... As Roman rulers would hear this, the firestorm that this was building. And this is why in Luke, it it tells us that the Pharisees, when they saw this, when they heard what was happening, and they're trying to keep the peace, like put the fire out, get the hose, throw some water on this fire. Jesus, make them stop. Don't you see what they're doing? You're going to get us all killed. Make them stop. They feel the tension. They know what's happening. Just as the crowds are singing out and they know what Jesus is doing by riding in in the colt. So the, the Pharisees also know how this is going to be viewed and they're begging Jesus, make it stop. And what does Jesus say? No. Like even if I were to shut their mouths, the rocks themselves would cry out, this is meant to be. This is the moment. This is now.
And I want us to see that as Jesus enters, when you look at then Jesus entering the city, and they're singing out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is his coming kingdom of our father David. This is the fulfillment of Zechariah. This is it. This is our king. This is our freedom. Finally, we will be free. And then Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. It's this curious end to Sunday. All of this that has taken place, this dramatic statement, this fire that has been started. Then Jesus goes to the temple and he looks around. He enters Jerusalem, the holy city of God, the place of God's choosing for the Jews, that the temple mount where it says God's Spirit dwelt in the temple, where all nations were called to worship, to pray. All nations to serve the one true God. He looks around. He takes it in. He looks at everything. It says. He takes it all in. It says He looks around at everything. And then... He returns. And you may wonder, what in the world was Jesus thinking? What did he think? What did he see? And the reality is, tomorrow we're going to find out. Because Jesus is going to return to the temple at the start of the day. And he's going to address and declare how the religious leaders of the day were corrupting the worship of the one true God, how they're monetizing God's majesty how they minimize the holiness of God, how the worship at the temple was not sufficient and it hindered the nations from coming to worship God. He is going to address all of that and in many ways just add fuel to the fire. So I want us to think through, as we think of these events, what does this mean? How should we think about it today? And I want to take time for us to, to think through this. These events that occurred, and we're like, okay, great history lesson. That was 2,000 years ago, right? But now what? Is it just something to learn? But how should we perceive it? How should we internalize it? What does God want us to believe or do in response to this? And the first thing I want us to see together is this. The intentionality of Jesus. Like, don't miss this point. The events that unfold throughout Holy Week are not a series of unfortunate events. Like, this is important because if you view Holy Week as just this accident, this series of unfortunate events, like, oh man, like, Jesus was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. He got swept up in all of this political turmoil. Like he, he was a really good guy. Like he was a good teacher. And it's a shame that these bad things happened to him. You will read the events of Holy Week and just feel sorry for him. Feel like, ah, that's, it's so sad. I wish it didn't have to happen that way. But on the other hand, if we truly believe that Jesus intentionally did these events. Jesus intentionally came to Jerusalem on the week of Passover 
knowing that he was going to die. He's already prophesied it three times. He knew what was going to happen in coming here. He knew what he was doing in asking for the coat. He intentionally walked through every moment of Holy Week. It's intentional. There's a purpose and meaning. Now when we read it, we're going to look at it different. These things didn't happen to Jesus. Everything he said and did has a purpose. Now when we read the events, we're not saying, oh, look what happened to Jesus. We're saying, listen to what he says. Watch what he does because every step, every word, every moment in these coming days was intentional and it held a purpose. And we need to to have discernment on what that purpose was, to read with eyes that know that Jesus meant to say that. He meant to do that. He meant for the outcome to be what it was. He knew that it was going to lead to his death. And it says he voluntarily laid down his life. And then we need to understand why. Why was that his intention? And that's what we will walk through this week. But I also want to encourage us, in the same way that the crowds misunderstood Jesus, how are we misunderstanding of Jesus? Here's what I mean, both for those who worship Jesus and those who reject Jesus. Why? Do we worship Jesus for what he will provide or give to us? Or do we worship Jesus for who he truly is? Like I think of the crowds, right? They were singing out, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. They're worshiping Jesus. But what are they asking for salvation from? They just want Jesus to free them from Rome. Now, Jesus receives their worship, but we need to be honest that the crowds most likely did not understand that they were asking for freedom and salvation from something so much greater than Roman occupation. What they needed salvation from was their own sin. The kingdom they needed was not just the kingdom of Jews to make Israel great again. They needed a kingdom of God for all nations all peoples. And that's what Christ came in. But here's what I think happens too often. We worship Jesus because of what he will get us to. A means to something else. Think if your favorite vacation, like your dream vacation, is to one day go to Hawaii. Right? To to be on the beaches of Hawaii, to climb the volcanoes. And so now's the time. And so you, you buy the plane ticket. What are you looking forward to? Being on the beaches and climbing the volcanoes, right? The plane ticket is just your means of getting there. Here's what I think happens far too often. Our hope is joy, is comfort, is health, is wealth, whatever it might be. Our happiness is in something else. And Jesus is just the plane ticket to get those things. And so we use him to get to something better. It happened with the crowds. It happens today. 
Politicians can use the name of Jesus not because they worship Him, but to simply gain votes to get what they really want, which is power. We can use it to get to heaven. Right? Jesus is just our ticket to heaven. I remember as a child, I said to my parents that I wanted to go to heaven because I didn't, I wanted to trust Jesus because I didn't want to go to the devil's fireplace. The first part of my testimony in growing up from childhood up until I was about 18, 19, was that Jesus was my ticket to not go to hell and to go to heaven. That was it. That was as deep as my affections for God went. He was simply my ticket to something better. And if I followed Jesus, maybe he would make my life easy. Maybe he would give me what I really wanted. But it wasn't that I really wanted Jesus. I wanted what he would give me. And that was my true hope and desire. Pastor and author of the book, God is the Gospel, writes this. The critical question for our generation and for every generation is this. If you could have heaven with no sickness and with all the friends you've ever had on earth and all the food you, you've ever liked and all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed and all the natural beauties you ever saw, all the physical pleasures you ever tasted, no human conflict or any natural disasters, could you be satisfied in heaven if Christ were not there? And that quote hit me. Would we be satisfied? Would we be satisfied to have no sickness, to have all of our friends present, to have everything we've ever enjoyed, nothing bad? If we could have all of heaven except for Christ, would we be satisfied? It's humbling, isn't it? Is Jesus just your ticket to get something else that you really think will make you happy? Or is he the destination? Are you worshiping Jesus for who he is? Not just who you want him to be or what you want him to give you, but because he is your joy. Because Christ is your hope. Because Christ is your safety. He is your peace. He is your comfort. He is your provision. That Christ is everything. Christ is the destination. He is the source and the substance of our joy and hope. Do you worship Jesus as a means to something or as the object of our affection? It starts to hit close to home, doesn't it? Because we can sing Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. We can say the right words. And Jesus was honored. But he's going to go deeper. He's going to press deeper in our lives to show us who he really is. What about for those who have rejected Christ? Maybe you're, you're here this morning. You, you still have doubts, frustrations, questions. Maybe you're watching online. And you're like, I don't know about all this. Jesus has let me down. Like well, I've said this before that Orlando is the sixth most de-church city in America. 
meaning people who once went to church and have walked away. And I think one of the questions is why? Why is that a reality? And this is a complex question, but I think one of the reasons why that has happened is because people have tried to use Jesus as a ticket to happiness rather than the object of their joy. And when Jesus didn't work, when they tried to use him and think, well, if I follow Jesus, then I'm going to get that job. If I follow Jesus, then, then I'm going to get the spouse. I'm going to be healthy. I'm going to then make money. And if I just do these things, Jesus is going to give me this. And when it doesn't work, then they, they blame the ticket. And they say, see, Jesus didn't give me what, he, what I want, so he doesn't work. I'm going to go try something else. And they walk away. Why have you rejected Christ? Why do you doubt His goodness? I encourage yourself to ask yourself this question. Are you only interested in using Jesus to get something else? Or are you willing to surrender your life and explore who Christ claims to be and what He has done as being the source and the substance of your hope. Why do you worship? Why do you reject? And I want to be honest. It's not always one or the other in absolute. Like, I have to check my own heart When I feel, I go through seasons where I'm like, I feel like God let me down. Like, I think this is a normal thing that we have to process together as Christians. There can be times when I'm like, I'm really frustrated that God didn't do ABC. And then God brings me back around. Well, why did I expect that? Where is my happiness? Like, what am I looking for? Am I just trusting in God so I get this? Or am I following God because He is my source of joy and hope. I don't wake up every day and do that perfectly. In the question, I want there to be freedom to explore, to feel conviction where conviction is needed, but also an invitation to not be too easily satisfied, to not think too smallly of who Christ is, but to say this is who He is. He is worthy to be the object of my hope, the object of my peace. The final thing is this, that I want to encourage us as we enter this holy week for yet another year. What is the true purpose of Christ? Like as we listen, as we follow, to hear Him as He speaks, to watch Him as He works, Who does he declare himself to be? What does he say? What does he do? That we would take time this week to not just rush into assuming we have it all figured out, but to take the time to recall, to remember the events of this week. To lead us through the emotions. What's going to happen on Monday in the temple? The teaching that's going to happen. The meal with his disciples and the words that are spoken. The crucifixion on Friday. The empty silence on Saturday. As then we gather next Sunday to celebrate the secured hope we have in Christ. 
And so I want to encourage you, if you're not familiar with the story, or maybe you are, and we just need to be reminded again, I want to encourage you and invite you, walk along with us in this journey. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this time this morning. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to remember and recall your triumphant entry into Jerusalem. Lord, the intentionality of your actions that would ultimately lead to your death for the forgiveness of our sins, a king that is greater than just the leader of a single nation, but of all peoples, Lord. A kingdom that will reign forever. Lord, help our thinking to not be too small. Help us to see the greatness of who you are and why you came. To not just project onto you our expectations of what you should do for the sake of our own comfort, Lord. But we would be surrendered because you are the destination, the source of our hope and joy, comfort and peace. Lord, help our hearts to be at rest in you. And Lord, I ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.